impacts in the day. I think we're going to do a great job. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Man Podcast. Really quick, I'm going to request that if you're an avid listener to the podcast, first, thank you so much. We never take your time for granted, but do us a favor. Leave us a rating, hit that like button, share, and of course, subscribe to catch a new episode each and every single week. And here we are again in person. I am so thankful to have the author of Let Love In, Transformational Men's Coach out of Atlanta, Jake Kaufman on the podcast. Um, I'm excited to hop into our conversation, Jake. But first, thank you for making the drive and coming on up, brother. Ted, thanks again for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Um, and I, before we jump into today's episode, I always make sure to get out of the way sure. and let my my, my guest have an, a moment with the audience, yep. introduce themselves in their own words, get acquainted, and then we can kind of hop into the conversation afterwards. But Jake, please, podcast is yours, brother. <laughs> well, I think you did a pretty good job, actually. Uh, but yeah, my name is Jay Kaufman. I'm a transformational men's coach, spiritual mentor, and obviously now author. Um, but this book is a long time coming. I started working on it in January of 2019 because I had to. You know, I believe Dickens when he said that our calling is our curse. And mm. so it's the thing that we can't not do. And, and for me, this book is that. You mentioned calling as a curse. I'm going to jump right there because I think beforehand I said, what was the journey like writing this book? And yeah. you mentioned how therapeutic it was. Um, what was the first inception for this book? How long did you fight it before pen actually met paper? On some level, I've known for the longest time that I was meant to be an author. I was supposed to write books. So I would say this is a culmination of a years long calling in many respects. But what fully prompted this book was me sharing my story of sexual abuse on social media for the very first time. Yeah, I had been a coach for a couple of years at that point in time. And in my conversations, and at the time I was serving both men and women, in my conversations with them, I realized, wow, so many people who have been through something similar, if not incredibly worse than I have, they just haven't told anybody about it. Mm. I can't even tell you how many times I was the first person that someone ever told me that they were abused, that they were assaulted, that they were raped. And I think they say that one in three women will at some point in time experience some form of sexual abuse or sexual assault in their lifetime. Yeah, They say that the numbers for men are one in six. But, you know, I've coached thousands of people over the past six plus years at this point. And from what I can tell you, the numbers are roughly the same. It's mm. just that men don't talk about it. We have a reporting issue. In fact, less than 1% of men ever report their abuse. Man, what keeps us bottled up so much? I mean, we know there's a laundry list that we could talk about, but what have you found has been the cap on the bottle? And what is about the space that you create with men? And maybe it is going first, but sure. what allows you to finally take that cap off for so many? I think Tony Robbins was on to something when he said, you know, until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're not going to, you're not going to change. Yeah. And I think this is true when it comes to the ego, the ego would always rather be right about what doesn't serve us than wrong about what does. So we're incredibly resistant to change. But the new always demands the death of the familiar where the ego hides so well. Mm -hmm. So whenever we experience trauma, 
And we now know that trauma is much more about what happened inside of us as a result of what happened to us as opposed to what actually happened. How did we internalize the experience? What were the stories or the beliefs that we made up about ourselves, other people, and the world that created this painful experience that then has a ripple effect, not just you know in every area of our life, but it has a ripple effect moving forward? Mm -hmm. The majority of our cognitive development happens between the ages of two and seven. So when you think about the majority of the beliefs and the identity that we create that dictates our energy, our attitude, and therefore our actions and our decisions, it's all of these beliefs and this identity that was created when we were incredibly young that now we are largely unconscious to. So what do we do in response to those things? Because when you're two and seven, you don't, you just don't have the mental resources to know what to do with that pain. So what's the easiest thing to do? It's, it's to repress it Yeah. because no child is safe to feel that they are not safe. Maybe they make a story around it. They craft something that is more comfortable and we hold on to that. Right. Or they do nothing with it. Yeah. Cause that's, that's the easiest response. And the field of trauma is now largely becoming very aware of this when it comes to, you know, there's fight, flight, freeze, which are all very primitive survival strategies. But now there's this new one called fawn, mm. which looks like, which is very, very, very new, which is people pleasing, acquiescing. So if you've ever experienced any significant amount of emotional abuse, little t trauma or big t trauma like assault abuse or anything like that in order to continue to you know perform as an individual in society and ha and have relationships and and show up in any sort of way what are you going to do in an effort to cope with that experience you're likely going to just people please and acquiesce mm. In fact, it's the, it's the final survival strategy, right? Historically, our first instinct is to do what? It's to run away. Yeah. Right? It's to run away from the dinosaur. Peace. Right. Run away from the dinosaur. That's true for all of us. That's biologically hardwired into us. If we can't run away, what are we going to do? We're going to play dead. Right? Mm -hmm. We're going to play dead. If we can't, or excuse me, we're going to fight it. So first is to run away from it. Second is to fight it. Third is to play dead. Mm -hmm. that's, that's your freeze response. But if we can't do that, and if you think about where is the number one place that sexual abuse or sexual assault actually happens? In the home. In the home. A place that's supposed to be comfortable. That's supposed to be safe. Yeah. So you no longer have those things at your disposal, fight, flight, freeze, if you're a really young child. So what do you do? You fawn, you acquiesce, and you start to go into people pleasing and passivity in an attempt to not acknowledge that pain and adapt mm. so that you don't have to experience the emotions attached to that pain. And that's where so many men get caught up is because we have a terrible relationship with grief. And in many ways, when it comes to men's work, we have to teach men how to grieve. 100%. Because very few people were ever modeled, had that modeled for them of what does it look like to grieve in a healthy way? Or what does it look like to experience anger in a healthy way? Do you think a lot of that being hidden in 
I think it's hard for for my experience growing up. I don't ever really remember clear depictions of men grieving or right. clear depictions of men in a healthy way dealing with trauma. Exactly. Right. You're not most. That's most and people's. Never experience. had that guidance. Yeah. Right. In general, none of us were ever taught how to be angry, mm-hmm. especially in a healthy, effective way. None of us were really taught what does it look like to grieve? So what do we do with these emotions as young children? We, we repress them. We suppress them. Mm. And so we create this identity unconsciously, this false persona, also known as the false self or the admired identity, where the entire focus is on who do I need to be in order to be loved, accepted, and successful. Mm. So our personality years later, decades later, has now become this amalgamation of, yes, genuine traits and characteristics, but also these adaptive traits, these compensating strategies that we are now largely unconscious to fast forward from the ages of two to seven to now like say 25 or 30 on up. That ultimately has us at odds within ourselves because it's not who we genuinely authentically are. It's who we think we need to be. How do we need to show up rather than showing up as my true authentic self? Hey guys, Ted here. Hope you're enjoying the episode, but really quick, I wanted to interrupt just to get you ready for the transformative experience, the Modern Man Retreat, 36 hours to build your six-figure life. Join us January 19th to the 21st for a weekend of growth, connection, and empowerment. Delve into powerful workshops, form lasting bonds, and rewrite your story alongside top facilitators like Brandon Powell, Zach Blakeney, Kyle Langley, and myself, Ted Fayton. Limited spots are available, so make sure to lock in yours right now. Visit our website or text RETREAT to 864-477-2260. Make sure to seize your future and reserve your spot today. It's like that question, if you ask a man, what do you want? don't know because they've spent so much of their lives fulfilling the needs of others, right? And that's very typical is, you know, usually in the first half of life, it's, you know, about being against, Mm -hmm. being in opposition to something. And when that's your stance, that's your stance. (laughs) So all of a sudden your energy, your focus is on not being like dad. Mm -hmm. For example, not turning out like dad did, not repeating dad's mistakes, but we know that we become what we resent. We become what we fear. We become what we are against Mm -hmm. by virtue, because that's where our focus is and where our, wherever our focus goes, obviously, uh, energy goes Mm -hmm. and wherever our attention goes, that eventually becomes our intention. Yeah, that loop of <laughs> where they say words and action can put off two different things. You can say you want something, that your Correct. behavior is what's going to actually manifest that future. Right. And that's because what we say is connected to our conscious mind. Mm-hmm. It's what we know. But what we do, our actions, that's connected to our unconscious mind, which is who we are. Yeah. It's reality. That's why most people are rarely what they say, but what they are always, 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 always what they 
Dude, 100%. How do you get someone to make that transformation, right? Obviously, in your, in your work, being able to, I think I would say first identify who we are by what we do, accepting that and then building that roadmap into who we hope to transition into. What, I'd say, what gets somebody to that point? What gets them there where they're ready? I think there are two great catalysts for transformation. Mm -hmm. And that's great love or great suffering. For men specifically, it <laughs> seems it seems that we need that we are prone to great suffering. Yeah. Like we, we need a smack upside the head, right? We just don't get it right yeah. the first time. Right. <laughs> we need a smack upside the head to to wake us up to who we've become and how that's impacting us. Yeah. And, and you know, you know, I talked about this before we pressed record. In, in, in many ways, all of men's work starts with answering the question, "What have you been doing with your pain?" Mm -hmm. So, when, until we stand in recognition of that, until we overcome the conscious adaptations or compensating strategies that cause you to show up as someone other than who you truly are authentically. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how much success you create. It doesn't matter if you accomplish all of the goals that you set out to do. You will be met with what? You will continue to be met with your pain. Yeah. And whatever emptiness or whatever fundamental lack of fulfillment that has created because it creates a void within us. And whenever we try to fill that void with things outside of us, mm -hmm. we end up just perpetuating the cycle of suffering. Yeah. I said this maybe as recently as a couple episodes ago, how we were talking about the difference between fear and danger mm -hmm. and how, you know, for some men, they can go to war, come back, and they would prefer to go back out yep. in a barrage of bullets versus facing their pain. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, which they're trained to do that. Correct. You know, when right. you think about it, exactly. Where they there's there's one that will give physical harm. The other is is more of an emotional internal pain. Right. But their comfort with one yeah. is is drastically higher than the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because of training, because of exposure, and building that capacity. But I almost identify as that as to how how strong these identities that we craft can really be. Totally, and, and that's. I mean, this is a whole other like can of worms that we could talk about <laughs> when it comes like to the deconditioning that is very necessary when it comes to soldiers and integrating them back into society mm -hmm. and how in many ways we have fundamentally failed uh, servicemen, both men and women, both male and female, when it comes to deconditioning and deconstruction, deconstructing that identity mm -hmm. that they were forced to take on in order to survive in battle, yeah. right? where it's either kill or be killed. Yeah. But then you come back into society and that just fundamentally no longer works because if you don't deconstruct that identity, you're still going to be at war, even if it's just within yourself, mm -hmm. because that's what you've been trained to do. Question. And this is kind of just authentically following this conversation because I would imagine war itself being a level of trauma. Of course. And the identity that you mentioned, imagine the two to seven year old, maybe big T trauma also would have 
maybe someone that who they have to become because almost the yeah. way you described a soldier having to reintegrate into society i also picture someone who is living with trauma mm -hmm. unaware of how it's still impacting their lives and how they show up each and every single day yep. um you, you know they could still have a hard time acclimating to society totally and obviously that's that's very easy to to sure to point out for example you know you look at a lot of homeless people for example mental illness is i believe one of it's it's present in like over 85% of, yeah. of people who are homeless more and more research is coming out pointing to the fact that mental illness is actually the result of unhealed trauma mhm mm very very few people are actually born with a mental illness or um i'm trying to think of the exact word a disorder yeah what we're coming into recognition of is it's really just prolonged dysregulation no one's born adhd we used to think that we now know that that's no longer true we know that adhd is a chronic state of dysregulation mm -hmm. that prevents someone from being able to focus, be present because they're so actively trying to avoid the pain beneath their trauma, mm. the emotions beneath their trauma that they did not know what to do with because they were so young when that chronic trauma started to occur, even if it was just emotional trauma, whether it was neglect, whether it was abandonment, whether it was a parent's divorce, mm -hmm. right? And all of a sudden, you know, mom's not there or dad's not there or whatever. Mom and dad are just aren't, they are not together anymore. And what do I do with that? Well, of course I need to interpret it in some way, shape or form. Yeah. So I need to make it mean something in order to make sense of it. But kids are largely unconscious to that. And so we create these beliefs in an attempt to cope, but beliefs by virtue are unconscious. Yeah. So they just continue to run the show. And this is why most men pass on their wounds and not their wisdom. Say that again. <laughs> most men pass on their wounds and not their wisdom. Mm. Because we don't know the beliefs that are actually running from running the show. We don't know that we're choosing, say, from the space of our trauma. Mm -hmm. Typically until, you know, we repeat various patterns long enough. Yeah. And hopefully that wakes us up, which was very true for me. Right. I started to play out various patterns across romantic relationships, across different various jobs and career positions, which caused me to wake up and be like, okay, what's what's responsible for this? What's what's yeah what's driving this where it's like same song, different dance, you know, like different relationship, same outcome different job, similar end result. Mm -hmm. And that, and that's what caused me to go on the journey of, you know, therapy and healing and, and personal development that ultimately led to me acknowledging this experience that I went through as a young 12 or 13 year old as sexual abuse. Before that, I had just played it off as a joke mm -hmm. in an attempt to not experience the pain. Yeah. Or have to deal with the pain. It wasn't that serious and kind of just Bingo. keeping it to yourself and 100%. no one needs to know and things like that. Yeah. And I just started to mask. 
right, I started to act as if. I acted as if I had it all together, as if I was fine, mm -hmm. as if I was successful, as if I was connected, as if I was vulnerable. Yeah. All of those were just masks. They were compensating strategies to not have to deal with the pain from the incident until here I am in my mid to late 20s, repeating all these various patterns that are very much preventing me from, you know, creating sustainable success in my life. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm forced to confront who I've become and the experiences that went into shaping who I've become to do something about it. Hmm. Because until, you know, what we're, what we're conscious of, we're in control of, but what we're unconscious of is in control of us. Yep. Yep. And that's the loop that most men are living in. Yeah their pain and their trauma is doing the choosing for them because they haven't reconciled it. Being a puppet to the strings of trauma, but acting like there is no one controlling you. You just don't see those strings. You don't feel those strings. Well, and that's how the ego works. Yeah. The number one goal of the ego is to maintain the status quo. How does it do that? It hides the truth from you. Yeah. There are no strings. Exactly. There are no right. strings on me. Uh, right. Exactly. <laughs> what was the experience like after you posted your pain, because I think, and it, this doesn't mean anybody listening who has something they are dealing with that they have to go shout from the mountaintops, not, right? Not, not at all. But even for some, the first person you tell in a safe place yep. could feel like a mountaintop. Of course. What was it on the other side of when you posted your pain, when you, when you faced your pain and what was some of the, the benefits that you enjoyed after? So in transparency, despite the fact that I had been doing personal development work for years up until that point, I had actually never shared my abuse in any of those avenues. Mm. I had invested in half a dozen various personal development workshops, seminars up until that point, but I had never shared about my abuse outside of the context of my relationship with my therapist and like a few select family member and friends. Mm -hmm. So I'd never shared it within the context of a group because I was so terrified of what people would think. How would they react? What would they say? Would they still want to, you know, be friends with me? Yeah. Catastrophizing, of course. So... I simply continue to unconsciously mask. I have it all together. I'm successful. You know, and I was, you know, I started this healthcare tech company that now has over 400 employees, but I was still met with my pain at every next level. Yeah. So I just thought the, the you know, what would ultimately solve for that is the next level. And this is the lie that most men buy into. Yeah. The reality is that more only makes you want more and the next level only makes you want the next level. It's a trap. And so the moment I shared my story on social media, I actually suffered from a panic attack. Man. It was actually clinically diagnosed as an acute nervous system breakdown. So my whole nervous system was so overwhelmed by the level of connection that me posting created because as you can probably imagine, I started to get all of these DMs and comments on the post, text messages, phone calls from people who were close to me but didn't know. Yeah. People reaching out to me sharing their stories of abuse because they could relate to what I was, my story. 
the level of connection was way too much for my nervous system and it just collapsed. And so I suffered from this incredible panic attack on steroids, which I detail in my book. And that's what really woke me up to the reality that like, oh, I've been performing. Yeah. I have taken on this persona, this role of this guy who, who's got it all together, who, who's fine on the outside or from the outside looking in, which was a protective strategy because it allowed me to keep everyone at arm's length. Yeah. Which ensured that you can't hurt me, you can't take advantage of me. And again, I was, all, I was unconscious of the fact that this was playing itself out, but the moment I shared, it became unavoidable because now I'm having a, a series of panic attacks over the course of like several weeks and several months because I just shared my most shameful secret with everyone. Yeah. And to your point, I'm not suggesting that people go out and do that, <laughs> you know, but my goal for writing this book was to inspire people to simply do something about it. Yeah. Whether it's sharing it with one person. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's, you know, your mom or your dad. Maybe it's with a therapist. Mm -hmm. That's why the subtitle is what it is. The pain stops when the truth starts. The minute I posted my story on social media, then I could actually do something about all of these performative strategies, these adaptations, these overcompensations that I was unconsciously playing out, but that ultimately kept me trapped in this loop, in this cycle of performing where I was just so focused on accomplishment, achievement, mm -hmm. accumulation, right? Which is positioned all over social media these days, right? I was doing, I was caught up in that exact same game. But it was all hidden by the guise of avoiding my pain. Yeah. I just constantly justified it as, well, I'm super assertive and hardworking and determined and I have all these goals and this ambition. Yeah, this is who I am. Totally, right. Yeah, this is just <laughs> who I am. Because how many memories, how many core memories do you actually have between the ages of two and seven? I have a couple. That many, yeah. Right, have a couple. And so we're largely unconscious to this reality, uh, this game that we've been unconsciously playing for decades to the point to where the explanation for it is exactly what you just described. Well, this is just who I am. And this is just who I've become. Right, but that's, that's not who you actually are. Yeah. Authentically, who you are is beneath all of that. Yeah. Beneath all of these performative strategies, beneath all of these various masks that we take on in an effort to maintain connection with other people, in an effort to get people to like us, in an effort to become successful and establish ourselves and make something of ourselves in our career or in business, mm -hmm. that just keeps us anxious and addicted. Who do you serve now? The majority of the men that I serve now, as you can imagine, are men who are rich in money, but poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. They've established themselves. They've reached a, a certain level of success. I realize that that's very subjective for everybody. Sure. But from the outside looking in, we would all agree that like, oh, that person is successful, materially speaking. When it comes to their business, their career, a lot of them are entrepreneurs and they've reached that milestone or that mountaintop 
that we all aspire to reach, you know, in, in the first half of life when we're kind of playing this ego game, this overcompensatory game. And they're like, why am I unhappy and unfulfilled? Mm-hmm. Why am I empty and wanting? And the only answer that most men have to that is to do what? Is to just keep doing what they're doing. Just the next level. Stay the course. Yep. Stay the course. The next level, the next level, the next level. You're just not there yet. Correct. Yep. Double down. 10 exit. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Lean in. Yeah. 10 exit, you know, as, as Grant Cardone would say. But, you know, lots of studies have shown that that doesn't actually increase our happiness. And yet here we are as this performative society that we've kind of all bought into because we were raised in it, you know, so it's all we know. Yeah. But when you're, when you're raised in religion or when you're raised in a society that is bent on achievement, like in, in the Western world, the United States and Canada specifically, when you're raised in that type of environment, it tees you up for a life of performance. So what do you naturally start to do without even thinking about it from a very, very young age? Perform. Perform. And that looks like suppressing and repressing the less than ideal qualities and characteristics about myself and posturing and positioning the ideal qualities and characteristics about myself. That creates a pressure cooker. Mm -hmm. And whenever you have a pressure cooker, you need a coping mechanism to relieve the pressure. Let, Let off some steam, as they say. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So this is why, you know, drugs, alcohol, pornography are so pervasive amongst men, but let's toss those out. Cause I think we can all agree that on some level, on some inherent level, those are harmful or have harmful side effects. Yeah. I think everybody can agree with that, but there's also what I would call these noble coping me- mechanisms. That's a, that are much more easy to justify like work, for example. Yeah. Talk it, about them. <laughs> hid, hidden behind the guise of providing for the family and being determined and assertive or wanting to leave a legacy. Yeah. Working out, justified behind the guise of being health conscious or prioritizing my health and fitness. Food, eating, mm-hmm. internet, phone, TV, shopping. Yeah. I could, I could go on. Yeah. Doing work around the house. I'm the handyman. I'm going to fix everything. There's always a project to do. That's a huge one. Yeah. Caretaking for others. Because mm-hmm. as long as I'm caring for other people, who am I not caring for? Myself. Exactly. It's a great neurotic mm-hmm. uh, response, which by definition is just an effort to avoid anxiety. Yeah. I would say for, for anyone that might feel like they're lacking in life, right? Mm-hmm. What would you, what what would you recommend someone start? Because for anyone who might be money rich, but emotionally poor, having a a hard time, like, why am I still here? You know, uh, at least the money can help them solve that. Totally. Right. But let's say someone might feel like they're lacking in money and lacking in emotion. Yeah. What, What would you recommend they pursue first? Well, you just lumped men into to do bu- to do buckets essentially, which I really appreciate sure. you doing because for the sake of our listeners, this is probably super important because there are probably some men who are listening to this, some people who are listening to this that are like, okay, I resonate with that. I'm successful. And yet on some deep inherent level, you know, I feel empty or wanting more, aspiring to more. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with that, 
It's about what's the unconscious motivation beneath it mm -hmm. that's driving it, that's responsible for all of that. And then there are probably these other men who are like, I am playing small. I'm not even scratching the surface of my potential. Yeah. I have so much more that I'm capable of achieving. I'm just not living up to that. Both men are doing the exact same thing. It just looks different. Mm. It just looks different. This one over here is performing over top of their neglect. This one over here is simply being held back by their neglect. Mm. And by neglect, I'm just using an in general term in this moment to describe their pain. Yeah. And whatever unreconciled trauma that they have have yet to deal with. And, whatever. And break through and transcend. Yeah. Right. So this person over here is just performing over top of their pain. This person over here is just being held back by their pain. Mm. It's the same thing. The same thing is occurring. It just looks slightly different. The external outcome or manifestation of that just looks different. Yeah. This person is successful, is rich in money, but poor in happiness. This person may or may not be happy, right? But they're not scratching the surface of their potential. They're playing smaller that they know that they are capable of so much more. And they're simply being blocked. They're being held back by their pain. So this person is being blocked by their pain. This person is being fueled by their pain. Yeah. So really no way around it. The, the pain is going to be having some hold on our lives one way or another, whether it excels us forward in a financial realm or even if it holds us back from and correct self identification or self-dialogue that we tell ourselves, Absolutely. keeping us at a certain level. Yep. Same song, different dance, same package, different bow. I love it. I love it. What has been the, what has been, I guess, the most powerful or most significant transformation you've been a part of? Obviously without giving specifics sure. or anything like that, but just kind of expressing for the guys, the transformative, um, the transformative change they could see in their own world when they address their pain and change their perspective on some things. Oh man. There's a lot that I could point to. Um, but I, I'll just say, I'll just say this. Um, all of this work at the end of the day is It's meant to move us into transformation and transcendence, all of it. Yeah. So if whatever work you're doing on yourself, whether it's with a coach, whether it's with a therapist, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's a program, if it doesn't at a certain point in time, put you on the path to a higher purpose and to a higher power, get rid of it. Nice. So... Let's get that out of the way first and yeah. foremost. But in terms of a transformation that that I've been a part of, um, I've had a lot of guys who had infertility issues who then went on to get pregnant with their wives because the energy and the emotion that they were previously holding on to and unconsciously repressing is no, now no longer there. Mm. I'm not saying I'm solely responsible for that. Sure. But those men have in hindsight come back to me and they've said to me personally that I think the reason that we got pregnant is because of our work together. Yeah. So even if that becomes the behavior that someone changes, which 
again, alter something else in their life, right? The small hinges that swing the big doors yep. where a small change here yep. can echo into another area of life, simply how you arrive and how you approach it. It's a ripple effect. Exactly. I'll continue down the path of answering this question, but simultaneously circle back to mm -hmm. previous question, which is where should men start or where should people start? Yeah. It has to be deconstructive in nature. It has to be. Most men are attempting to, to reconstruct before they deconstruct, mm -hmm. which is like building a house on sand. <laughs> you can build a house on sand. That's not the question. The question is what happens when the storm comes? What happens when trials and tribulations occur? How does this look tangibly speaking? Mm -hmm. It looks like being overly focused on goals, on new high performance habits, right? But those are the symptoms. Every behavior is driven by an internal belief that we maintain. That's the foundation. What created those beliefs, experiences, conditioning, parenting, the environment that we were raised in. So until we address the foundation, which looks like deconstructive work, the work that I do with men, at least initially in our work together, it's going to be incomplete and in insufficient. Mm -hmm. All of the success that you create, not in, I'm not talking about you, but like more in general, Yeah. whatever success you create, at the end of the day, will feel incomplete and insufficient until you've reconciled your pain. It will. So a fundamental sign that you have some deconstructive work to do on yourself is experiencing a high level of success, but on some level still experiencing this internal void within yourself. Mm -hmm. We have to deconstruct before we can reconstruct. That looks like building a house on, on rock. Because the foundation of everything in your life, my life, is the relationship that we have with ourselves. Yeah. And the relationship that we have to a higher power. It is. And if you don't even believe in a higher power, well, you know, Einstein once said the most important decision you'll ever make is whether or not you live in a friendly or a hostile universe. So the same thing applies. I don't care if you believe in, you know, you know God, you know, Buddha, Allah, Jesus, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, it's all saying the exact same thing at the end of the day. Whatever narrative you want to place on top of it is up to you. Um, so we have to we have to deconstruct before we reconstruct. Mm -hmm. We have to redo the foundation so that we can then build on top of it. Most people are trying to build on top of a faulty foundation. Yeah. And that's where you have people like Anthony Bourdain, Robin Williams, and Kate Spade. Anthony Bourdain was the biggest food celebrity on the planet and yet was, I don't know if you saw his uh, documentary, mm -hmm. super incredible like uh, documentary and depiction of what exactly what I'm talking about here. You have this hyper successful man who was just suffering internally yeah. and it eventually led him to take his life. Kate Spade was making $50 million a month when she ended up committing suicide, yeah. um, Robin Williams, I mean, one of the most beloved actors of all time, multiple Academy Award winner. Mm -hmm. And I think this just all paints the picture of what we're ultimately talking about. Men nowadays, the suicide rate amongst men is higher than ever. It's ridiculous. More, more prescriptions for anxiety were written in the United States last year in 2022 than 
ever before in, in our history because we're not doing this necessary needed work. And, you know, we're not really taught how to do it. it it's not that, you know, I'm, I'm blaming people for not doing it because we just, we model. Yeah. Where's <laughs> we, we model what we see. <laughs> yeah. Right. And what was mirrored to us. Um, Eastern cultures and Eastern religions had this down because there was always this initiatory experience, especially amongst men mm -hmm. that, you know, signified them crossing this threshold between boyhood and manhood. And, yeah. and part of that initiatory experience was being stripped, being limited, being confined, mm -hmm. being out of control. Right. That's what it really means to be initiated. Yeah. The rites of passage. If Correct. You yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Um, it, it's defined by like suffering, hardship, mm -hmm. pain, challenge, challenge. Absolutely. Um, we don't have that in our society by and large, mm -hmm. um, a, as a norm. And so what ends up initiating men? Well, before our generation, it was always war. Yeah. It was always war. Um, but now we don't really have that, at least in mass. I mean, you think about World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, th there were drafts. There were. Right. And so the vast majority of men, you know, served in some capacity. And so they went through the necessary training that initiated them, uh, you know, into being a soldier. Yeah. Which we talked about earlier. But now that that's not really there because you can choose to be in the military. You can choose not to be in the military. The majority of people choose not to. Right, because it's not really that needed or necessary in this day and age, so we don't have these initiatory experiences that are very, very necessary in the in the attempt to deal with our pain mm -hmm. and provide us with the necessary humility that we all need to break free of individuation. This process of like establishing myself or making something Who of myself, I? yeah, right, where it's all about the self, to eventually crossing over to transformation and transcendence where all of a sudden it's about a bigger purpose. It's no longer about me because my life is not my own. Mm -hmm. It's meant to be in service of something much, much bigger than me that will ultimately outlive me. Yeah. And I feel like that's where the connection happens for most people. Most yeah. men, when they have that, that sight, that view of what's bigger than them, yep. then it becomes more of a commitment, more of a focus, more of a purpose, the purpose yep. to the pain yep. as you would, where a lot of the times the things that we go through uniquely qualify us to help others through that specific process that we went through. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> purpose can stand the test of time. Yep. It really can. And it can withstand pain. The self and establishing oneself and my own personal ambition cannot. Yeah. It was never meant to. It was never supposed to. And so we need this, this, you know, I think the Japanese call it your ikigai, your yes. reason for being this thing that is so much bigger than, than you. But until you reconcile your pain, you'll never, you'll never cross over and, and enter into this, this bigger picture. Yeah. This, this bigger phase of, of living and operating because you'll have something to prove and something to protect. So let love in the pain stops when the truth starts. Jake, how can folks get the book? How can they jump in more and, and, and learn, learn about your story, brother? 
Absolutely. Well, obviously they can get it on Amazon where all books are pretty much sold. Um, Let Love In, The Pain Stops When the Truth Starts. It's my full name. So Jacob Kaufman, K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. Otherwise you can purchase it through my website, which is awakewithjake.com. Or you can get it via my Instagram and, and also interact with me, connect with me, see what see what I'm up to, which is I am Jake Kaufman, K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. Yeah. I'll have those in the show notes so folks can open it up, go right to the uh, to the source. And uh, last question, usually it's, it's the deepest and I'm sure it's probably chronicled in your book, but sure. what is something you've seen or something that's happened to you that, that shapes the way you view the world as a man? <laughs> I don't even talk about this in my book, actually. Um, mm. A little over 18 months ago, I had a traumatic brain injury. Mm. I was on the golf course. I was standing on the car path. My ball was in the grass and I had a seizure and I fell over and split my head wide open. I was unconscious for 55 minutes. Wow. That experience, because as you can probably imagine, I'm I'm – somewhat similar to you, which I've always been innately driven, ambitious, assertive, determined. All of that was gone. All of those mental resources were fundamentally unavailable to me. And I think that we all have to have to go through that. Yeah. At a certain point in time, if we will ever truly let go of this performative personality, the false self. So, because that experience, I do believe that when we know, when we no longer know what to do, our real work has begun. (laughs) And when we don't know which direction to go, our real journey has started. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened to me is this thing that was fundamentally out of my control that happened that my mental resources, my strong willpower was simply not a match for that I was able to fully step into, into my purpose. Um, You know, I was still admittedly very much driven by you know, these entrepreneurial ambitious pursuits of having a seven figure business and, you know, all these different things, different revenue streams and, and whatnot. But if you like actually sat me down and asked me like, are you actually happy? I would have said no, for sure. Wow. At least that would have been the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would have admitted it, (laughs) but that would have been the truth. Yeah. Like, are you happy with your life, with what you're doing? And and this is coming from someone who is actually having an impact on people. Yeah. At the time, the the brain injury forced me to completely reevaluate my business. And that's when I went full time into men's work. Nice. Personal development has always been at the forefront of the work that I've done yeah. with entrepreneurs through the various masterminds that I've had over the course of the last, you know, six-ish years. But it was never the sole focus. It has now become the sole focus of what I do in the work that I do with men. Nice. And so I think that that experience was really needed to like have this like final push, if you will. Uh, it was like my, my, my dark night of the soul, which, <laughs> which, um, 
you know, most people confuse the dark night of the soul for the, the crisis of faith, mm. which I think happened when I shared my story on social media. Mm. The crisis of faith is when all of a sudden, like who you have become is like Let's, revealed. Yeah. It's revealed to you and you're like, who am I? What do I believe? What is important to me? It's very much a crisis of identity. Yeah. The, <laughs> the dark night of the soul is different. The dark night of the soul is when you've come out of that crisis of faith, you've stabilized, and then the bottom falls out. Oof. And that's exactly what happened because here I am, depressed, anxious. I have none of these mental resources available to me that I have largely built my entire life upon and have always been available to me, even, even since I was a really young kid. Yeah, yeah. So I started into athletics when I was like – six or seven. And, and, and that, that, ha that occurred all through college, you know, so middle school, high school, college. And so that just was who I am. Until it couldn't be anymore. Until it wasn't. I said, something you said that was so huge is um, if someone asked you if you were happy, mm -hmm. um, the truth would have been no. Mm -hmm. And I have a shirt that I, I made kind of a campaign, the you good shirt, hashtag, are you good yeah. about guys don't ask each other that enough. Sure. And the other half is we don't answer honestly yep. if we're good or not. And that's why, you know, the pain stops when the truth starts is so important because we're lying to ourselves, telling ourselves that we are okay when good. we clearly are not. So I hope folks can, can jump in to let love in, um, and, and enjoy the work that you've done and also maybe get a little inspiration themselves into revealing what they need to heal. Cause you can't heal what you don't reveal. Amen. Jay Kaufman. This has been a, a fantastic episode, brother. I can't wait to share it, but I want to share some of the things that you mentioned along the way yeah. um, that I think a lot of folks could have resonated with in terms of the calling being our curse. Yeah. A lot of us are probably avoiding what we know we should be doing. Um, and then the ego holding on to the familiar. Yep. We, we become who we are early on in life and we, we have a hard time letting that go. And a lot of this is imposed between the ages of two and seven years old. We, we don't have clear recollections of that. So we're holding on to an identity and a survival mechanism that was prescribed to us from somebody else. Yep. And we don't even know how that is continuing to drive our lives in the strings in that we don't see. Um, we weren't taught to grieve. We weren't taught to deal with these traumas. So because of that, we, we lack a playbook, but being able to identify and tap into to someone like yourself and, and get that help. So someone else can go through that work with you yeah. because the beliefs, we don't know our beliefs. Those are under the radar. And we are probably performing above them yep. or we are telling our stories that are keeping us below our full potential and having to deconstruct who we believe we are to find that solid foundation in which we could build our new selves. All awesome, awesome insight and awesome work. Jake, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much, brother. And to the audience, thank you for making it to the end. We appreciate the time. We already know, you already know what I'm going to ask. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can catch a new episode each and every single week. And the only way we get better is by your feedback. So leave us a rating, let us know how we're doing. And of course, don't forget to catch a new episode next week right here on the Modern Man Podcast. As we always say at the end, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without first the pain. Let's grow.